0: We all wanna do work that we love. And as leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees, wouldn't it be great to create workplaces where work feels like play? Where people are tuned in to the changes going on in the world around them. Where they're constantly learning, spotting new opportunities, and taking action to go after them. I'm Amanda Satili, and this is the Fearless Growth Podcast, where my guests and I will explore the mindsets and choices that lead you and your organization to outstanding performance. Today, my guest is Andy Bass, someone that I always greatly enjoy conversations with. He has a new book coming out in May called Start With What Works. He's based in Birmingham, England, and his focus and work is on helping companies to find ways to grow using the assets and people and intellectual property that they already have inside. So kind of mining what they already have Inside their companies to find new sources of growth. And I'm sure that that creates a great foundation for future markets and future products that they may not have even envisioned yet. Thanks so much for joining me today, Andy.
1: It's a pleasure, Amanda. Thanks for asking me.
0: Yeah, good to have you. Um, uh, one of the things that I am really hoping to explore in this podcast series is how to connect people more deeply with their work, how to have people working on things that they're really passionate about, that they're good at, that they are interested in learning about. And I found that one of the ways to discover that with some people, at least, is to look back at kind of the the roots of your life. And so if you could just think back to maybe when you were 11 years old, let's say, what did you really love doing back then?
1: You know, there were a couple of things, actually. One of them was I was angling for an electric guitar. I'd been, uh, I'd been playing the violin since I was about five and didn't really enjoy it. And I made a deal with my dad, you know, that if I, as long as I would keep the violin going, I could have an electric guitar. It's a deal I actually broke. Uh, I think he forgave me about 20 years later. Um, so the guitar and the other thing I remember was huge at that time was skateboarding.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love gliding sports. I love anything. Kind of board sport, uh, you know. We have that in common. I didn't even know that. Have either of these things translated in any way to the work that you do now? And you might have to use your imagination to, to make this
1: leap. Yeah, Do you know, I think both of them have because they both of them are, have to do with learning and um, you know, learning skills. And I became very interested in learning skills uh, through, through both through music, which anybody who plays an instrument, you know, you, you, a lot of what you're learning is learning how to learn and then skateboarding. And then, you know, I got into skiing when I was a bit, a bit older as well. And, um, again, as you know, you know, how you learn and, and, and noticing the best teachers and the way that they found ways to get ideas across. Um, uh, I think I became fascinated with that whole process of learning and teaching before I even would have known what to call it.
0: Have you spent time at any part of your career focused on teaching or training?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, so I uh, spent a bit of time in academia earlier in early in my career. You know, I did a PhD in software engineering, and then because I kind of interested in all kinds of stuff, I ended up teaching some computing, some early artificial intelligence in the days uh, when they used to call it good old fashioned AI. So I was teaching that to psychology students who did not want to learn it because <laughs> they didn't see computers and psychology as necessarily going together. And so I had to learn how to get their interest and how to get ideas across. And I think, um, you know, that pushed me to seek out training in, you know, how do you work an audience? How do you engage an audience? How do you get ideas across? Because otherwise I was just going to be like the the lecturers I'd had at university, which would be frankly a bit uninspiring and, and scared. I think they were often quite scared. So I, I, I decided earlier, I need to really get to grips with how do you, how do you relate to an audience? And so, I, yes, you know, I can see a connection between that and my earlier interests in skills learning that we were talking about.
0: Now, did you become a performer in any way with the electric guitar?
1: Yeah, um, I spent a lot of time, probably too much time in the 1990s, playing in a rock covers band around Birmingham. And then more recently, I was in a Rush cover band, a Rush tribute band, with my brother, um, which was very challenging. As anyone who knows Rush will know, that's kind of musicians' music and, and very challenging. So, um, yeah, we, we would gig, and uh, that, that really pushed my playing quite a lot.
0: What was the, your favourite part of performing for others?
1: Well, I think I think when you finish a song and everybody cheers, that is kind of a rush, uh, if you'll excuse the bun. Uh, and <laughs> I, I didn't mean to. And, um, you know, I did a little bit of stand-up as well. And uh, I think it's... I wasn't terribly good at the stand-up, but the times when I did get a laugh, you know, you're, you're putting yourself into a situation which is potentially rather scary. And if it goes well, there's a certain kind of a euphoria that goes with that, which is a bit addictive.
0: I cannot imagine. I mean, trying to deliberately be funny to me is is very difficult, but I do love being in front of an audience so I can relate to that. Um, and it's a such a rare skill in a way. I mean, so many people are afraid of speaking in public, afraid of being in public. So the fact that you latched onto that
1: early in your life? Well, yes. I mean, it was forced upon me. You know, I don't know how it works in the US, but uh, university teachers are not selected for teaching ability. They're they're, they're selected for research potential. Uh And, uh, you know, someone who's good at the one, and, and, you know, everybody knows, you know, somebody might be selected for one thing doesn't mean that they're necessarily good at another. You know, I guess, immediately I'm put in mind of that classic thing of the salesperson who gets promoted to be a sales manager and they're totally different jobs right so somebody who's a good researcher obviously must be a good learner to be in that situation doesn't mean they're going to be a good teacher Um, so I had no preparation for it the only models of performance I had were usually lecturers who weren't desperately good had the odd exception and I was I wasn't good at it I was scared of it but I sought out people who knew what to do Um, And I've always felt, you know, go and get the best teachers you can in anything. And you can usually get to very good teachers if you're a little bit determined and seek them out.
0: That's such a good point. So many people don't bother with that step. They feel like, oh, I'm just not good at that. And really, everybody starts out not good at stuff. You've got to put the time in. So something that you said earlier really struck me as interesting. You were teaching artificial intelligence stuff to psychology majors or psychology professionals and they didn't enjoy it. But what's so ironic to me is now it seems like artificial intelligence is actually like mainly focused on psychology. I mean, if you look at how they get us to spend so much time on social media, how they get us to get, uh, you know, the clickbait issue, they seem to be able to really use psychology to their advantage and to use AI to to, um, I shouldn't say mind control, but you know they, they seem to be able to, to really tap into our base psychology to get us to do what they want, buy what they want, think what they want. So can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that? Am I off base on this?
1: No, not at all, and it's funny uh, as well that uh, just thinking about teaching students who didn't want to learn computing, when I would meet students in subsequent years, and you know, you say, Did we teach you anything at university that you actually found was useful in, in your life afterwards? And they they would always say the same things. They would say, Yeah, the computing and the statistics, which are the two things they resisted the entire time they were students. And I think that tells us a lot about we don't know what's going to be useful in the future, which we could perhaps come back to. I think in terms of your direct question about AI psychology and manipulation, Uh, I mean, I, have always been very unhappy about that kind of thing. I remember talking to somebody who worked for a big consultancy, uh, when websites were just kicking off and this, he was basically telling me his job was to figure out how to create a sense of potential loss of opportunity and panic to get people to buy things quickly on the site. And I thought, I think that's kind of a waste of an education.
0: (laughs) But in terms of driving revenue, I'm sure it's very effective.
1: Well, right. But, you know, I think it depends on what kind of a relationship you want with your customers, right?
0: Yeah. So can you point, I mean, this is a hard question, Andy, but can you, can you point to any companies who are using AI for in psychological ways that are actually beneficial or benevolent?
1: Sure. I mean, I could think of lots of ethical and positive uses of AI, you know, generally in things like medical diagnosis, for example, or um, people trying to help. Uh, us manage our levels of digital consumption and that sort of thing. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can come up with an example too. I'm not sure. But companies that are using AI to create a, a, like a really good relationship with their customers, I suppose if you're tailoring in an intelligent way to genuinely curate what you offer to people. You know, I, I certainly, you see Netflix and what have you offering you, you know, if you like this program, you might like that program. You could see that developing, couldn't you, into something that was, that was like a really curated experience that uh, was very tailored. I'm not sure who's doing that well.
0: I think Netflix is a good example. And I think a couple of other good examples might be Weight Watchers. You know, they have ways of helping you use the app to guide you towards more healthy behaviors.
1: Okay, yeah. Some
0: of the exercise, you know, the wearables that give you little awards. Oh, I got to tell you a funny one though. We got a, a wearable for our cat. It's a little GPS collar that <laughs> right to wear so that if he jumps out of the car when we're on a trip or something, we can find him. And it's the when we first got it it goes, "Congratulations, Jasper has gotten his first certificate." And I look <laughs> in there and he's gotten he's gotten a certificate for movement today. Because but he's only gotten to two percent of his daily goal. <laughs> Talk about giving a kid a trophy—a trophy for participation.
1: <laughs> I know. I could just—I got a real picture of a grumpy cat for now. Uh, you know, in my mind. But I think you know that reminds me of something. I have a—I have a, a photo I sometimes use in presentations, which is of a cat tree. So it's if you imagine this cat tree that has paw-shaped platforms that the cat can sit on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And next, next to the cat tree is a cardboard box that the cat tree came in and the cat is sitting on the cardboard box because of course, (laughs) the cat (laughs) cat tree is not for the cat. And uh, sometimes I think that's, you've got to know who your customer really is, haven't you?
0: Yeah. So I was, I'm interested in this idea that you, that you presented, that you learned how to learn by Hmm. learning music. And that you you kind of learned the way of breaking it down into pieces and things like that. have you employed that at all in your work? how have you how Have you used that skill?
1: yes i I think it in some ways it kind of suffuses my approach in that um both in trying to learn the instrument and sometimes trying to teach other people, you're looking for the elements, the pivotal elements that if, if you're good at those elements, whether it's a certain type of fingering pattern or you know a physical skill that's required. to to get your hand into a particular position say on the guitar neck you're always looking for what are the underlying skills and remember i had a computing background too so in computing you're always looking for what are the common patterns that you can that you can uh, abstract and reuse so Mm -hmm. that whole notion of spotting what's working that may not be obvious that i can reuse somewhere else and let let me let's make it a bit more concrete for people Um, in the book I interviewed Matthew Crummock, who uh, until recently was the CEO of Go Compare. That's a price comparison website in the UK for insurance and so forth. And the way when Matthew took that business uh, on, the way that they were competing was mainly on, on advertising because, you know, one, one comparison site, another comparison site, they're offering a very similar product. So they had a, a, a kind of uh, flamboyant opera singer, has actually voted the, the British most annoying British advert of this campaign, this, this over-the-top singer. <laughs> and, and their competitor had, had uh, something with furry animals, okay? And they're just these kind of daft, fun, sort of frivolous adverts, and they're just trying to stick the idea of the brand in your mind. And he was saying there must be more to this than, than just a, a very similar commodified kind of uh, offering. And so they started to look at their business model and deconstruct the software that made their offerings work and then say, look, let's turn this into a kind of Lego kit of components so that we can build other products and maybe we can supply these components to other businesses as a B2B play. So Virgin Bank, if you're a, co- a, a customer of Virgin Bank and you within the app you can switch uh, energy supplier, that's based on components that GoCo put together and then made available to virgin. So to me, that's kind of looking at what's what are, the, what are the things we're doing behind the scenes that we're really good at that we don't actually identify and claim the value for? How can we make those available to other people uh, so that they can deploy them for other purposes? And I think you can see that, you know, breaking down the kind of root skills of finger independence, very important for a string instrument player, then could be applied to another to another instrument
0: oh yeah that's a really good example of how well i mean you you translate you use the metaphor well because i can see how i mean the thing that i would never be able to play a tr- stringed instrument is just the dexterity to be able to make my fingers move and remember the pattern and i'm sure if you do it like 500 times in a row you, it gets stuck in your brain and then you use it very fluidly um so your example of where they found a piece of their software, a piece of their service that could be employed in a totally different context is a really good example.
1: Right. And it's interesting just thinking back to my experiences learning, you know, I said the violin before I played the guitar and actually my violin teacher, Mrs. Sefton, taught us a finger independence <laughs> exercise, right? She used to make, uh, everybody in the orchestra used to have to do this um, from time to time and it built that kind of foundation of the ability to move it, fingers individually and maybe move your first and third finger while keeping the other two down, this kind of thing, that is a, is kind of a superpower because then you can use that for, mm-hmm. for probably whether whether you play the piano or a cello or a guitar or, because they all involve that kind of ability.
0: I really admire that. So tell me about this in a business context. So let's say you go into a company a, a common scenario that I run across is a company that's kind of gotten into this kind of de- commodity doldrums. They're they're not making very high margins. Their people kind of are feeling like every idea they've ever thought of, they've tried and they're getting kind of discouraged that nothing really worked. And, and they're, they're kind of, they're seeing no way out. They're seeing that there's just barriers in every direction and they're just, they're, they're bored or their investors are pushing them for growth, pushing them for growth or pushing them for profitability. Usually it's a combination, you know, how can we grow profitably? And uh, how can you work your magic to make them see those, those little components that can be used in a different way or, or, or to see something there that they're missing.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that I would uh, suggest coming at this. Now, one of them is to use a technique that I originally learned from the therapy world and that became popular in some, some areas of coaching. And, and, and what you do is you say, if we imagine what our ideal 10 out of 10 business would be, or sort of 10 out of 10 vision, give ourselves a score out of 10. And let's say that the business says, well, we're a five out of 10. Usually people will say something in a sort of three to seven range. So if you're a five out of 10, my next question would be, how come you're not a four?
0: (laughs) That's such a good question. Like you're really bad, but you could have been even worse.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The the interesting thing is that people will come up with lots of reasons Actually, you know, objectively verifiable reasons why they are at least a five and not a four. And right. often those answers start to suggest, hey, hang on a minute, you know, we do this right. We get this. This works very well. I've got a couple of examples in mind. One of them is is using this the scaling technique. And then afterwards, I'll, 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 another example about how to get out of a commodity trap that, that, that worked for... Um, for another company but I, I, first of all this this idea of well why aren't you a four so i was i was talking to a director of a shopping mall he was very demoralized because they had done an employee survey and they'd found you know, that the, the employee morale had come out in this survey as being pretty dire I, I thought to myself well let's let's look at what's working here rather than what's not not that we're not going to address this we obviously need to address the issue uh but i said look uh, i you have a footfall of 50,000 visitors a day, right? And he said, because I'd I'd Googled it before I went in. Yeah. And that's gone up 7% based on last year. Yeah. And I came through the shopping mall to your office today and I saw a load of people Easily, safely and happily going in and out of shops, you know, buying things in the coffee room. And I saw your people walking around looking after security, looking after, you know, everything's clean, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So actually, you have 50,000 people coming in and out of here every day. And 99.999% of those people have an absolutely satisfactory experience, right? Yeah. Okay, so yes, you've got some problems, but how many things must be going right for that to happen every day? You know, the kids get lost and they get reconnected with their parents. People lose things, you know, and your staff find them. I'm sure you have some, you know, first aid things and your staff again look after people. So le- what I would suggest this is a, like our first conversation, what I' suggest is let's see what's going right here. I've listed some of them. let's figure out what's going on there, because your people, if they're delivering this this experience, that the, there must be areas where they, they are engaged. just because the survey says one thing, objectively, they kind of must be there must be teamwork going on, there must be people who are day in day out, working hard, turning up on time to deliver what it is that you guys are here to deliver and I, and so that's sort of why aren't you why aren't you a four you know I, I kind of that was my thought process even though I didn't ask specifically the question and the guy said to me you've changed my day like completely and and, and it just changed the whole mood of the conversation and got us to a better place so that is a very powerful question
0: great example um so when you find these things that are the th- that make them a four yeah what do you do with them
1: Right so then you say okay you're a 5 you're not just a you know you're not you're not just a 4 you're a 5 and these are the reasons why what can we do with that to get you to a 6 what would a 6 look like because if mm-hmm. we can get the ball rolling in that mm-hmm. direction what you're saying then is hey we have things that work Start with what works right hey I, you're going to your people and saying you do this well let's build on it which is much better for morale than saying hey we have a shortfall and we're going to fix it and uh it it creates a a positive alignment and you know from there once you start to make progress you find often that you've got a lot of the answers yourself and if you do bring in extra resources you tend to bring in the right ones because you you understand more about the problem Uh, you know because you've started to get some traction with it
0: i have the feeling that a a few questions from you can really change their mindset about how they think about their business, and that's so valuable.
1: You know, I think our tool, our, our primary tool, really, uh, Amanda. I don't know what you think. It is questions, and uh, questions direct attention, and they can they can do it in so many sometimes subtle ways, sometimes very dramatic ways. And so, I, yeah, I completely agree with you.
0: Right, questions are very powerful, and so often companies do don't ask themselves the questions that they obviously should be asking themselves because they're just too immersed in the in what's happening every day
1: you know I, I have a friend who's a' is a turnaround professional and one of the things the first things he does when he's called into a business is he goes to the shop floor or you know the customer facing people and he says how do did management mess this business up?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he says he so often gets fantastic answers, but unfortunately, the managers never ask their own people. Right?
0: They don't want the answer. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, it's, it's a certain type of management mindset, right? Of course, a lot of managers do, but those tend to not be the ones who are then calling in the turnaround uh, guys. So.
0: They they either think um, I don't want to hear anything bad about myself, or they think oh, they're just going to tell me something I can't fix because the guy that I report to won't fix it. You know, there's this defeatist attitude in a way. No,
1: you'd specifically asked about, you know, if if a business is becoming commodified. And just, just to throw a quick example in there, which is Cardinal Health, who had a business selling sutures and uh, scalpels and sort of, you know, the stuff that surgeons use, in, you know, surgical equipment. Which was a which was a business that was really all the profit had been competed out of because their competitors could make just as good uh, a scalpel or just as good a uh, sutures or whatever. And long story short, what they did by they went and watched surgical teams and, and watched how they were, their, their stuff was being used, and they realized that if they could package the uh, surgical supplies into kits that were organized mm-hmm. for specific procedures. So, you know, you could buy a kit to do a hernia operation or to do an appendectomy or whatever it might be, and you could then use just in time and all that kind of quality control stuff to deliver um, a perfectly sterile package with all the right things in the right order then the hospital didn't have to hold the stock and hope that they had the right stock at the right time and so forth. And I think, you know, they got out of a commodity trap there by going and looking at the way in which their commodity products were being used and understanding that wider context. And then they came up with a really original solution. They could charge a lot more for it, but the total economics were also beneficial for the hospital because they weren't having to ask their nurses to be stock managers. If you you look at how your things are being used, you may well get clues that can reframe what you're doing
0: right and they that by doing that it sounds like they created a totally new source of value that didn't even exist before exactly but did people copy them other companies
1: I believe so but there's a certain sort of first mover advantage and and I mean there are other things that Cardinal's Always been great at in terms of its knowledge of its customers and the way it's managed its data and so forth. So integrating all of those things, I think, has made them a very uh, you know tough competitor for other people to to muscle in on.
0: I mean, what seems to me is that whatever you come up with, it will eventually be copied. And so the key skill that you need to have as an organization is how to continually get out there. And really understand what your customers are up against, really understand what your customers are trying to achieve, and spotting value for your customers that they may not see for themselves. Just like you walked in and you said, why are you a five, not a four? Cardinal Health being able to walk in and saying, uh, you know, what keeps you from being able to do 10 hernia operations a day instead of, you know eight that you're doing now, or, you know, looking at those sources of value of how they can supply something different that creates more value for the customer.
1: Right, And I mean, this is the sort of thing that you get into, isn't it, in your work as well, in terms of helping people to be agile and stay ahead of those trends.
0: Constant learning. I just feel like that's the, the key to it is having everyone in the organization setting learning goals, joint learning goals with, uh, with other members of their team, but also learning goals for themselves. Mm-hmm. and having them be engaged with something that they're really they really feel is kind of their sweet spot of being competent but also challenged right so that they're never complacent so they're always thinking
1: sort of following on from that i guess the other thing i would be thinking about is execution ability and and i'm thinking you know, a speaker i heard recently was remarking on this that these days a lot of sort of management knowledge that um, is, is, is easy enough to come by because, you know, even professors from the, the absolutely top business schools make their lectures available online, you know. And so uh, at one time, maybe the MBA syllabus was kind of exotic. Now anybody can get it. But the difference is, can you execute and you know especially given that you you know you're you came from that kind of very like you know top business school mckinsey and what would you say has that changed that, that as as kind of elite knowledge of management has become much more available because of the internet um, how much do you think that the premium is now with execution or or with innovation ideas i'd be really interested to to get your take on that
0: the great thing about the world that we live in today is any question that you Ask can be answered relatively easily. So, if you come up with a management question, such as, you know, how can I motivate my sales team when sales are down, whatever it is, you can find the answer. It's knowing what question to ask and it's having even the interest in asking the question. And so, um, one thing that I ran across in a conversation this week with a client was uh, this is just an example things are always changing. So we've just seen because of the pandemic, a huge, massive change in people's roles, in what we're expecting of them, in how they need to manage. And they're so busy just being able to keep their head above water that they don't have time to go out and necessarily look for those training modules or, you know, get the information, sift through the sea of information to find the exact right answer for what they're facing. Gaining the skill of what exactly do I need to learn so that I can ask the right question to get the right answer, I think is something that serves companies very, very well in a time of fast change. And being able to, as leaders, shift the metrics a little bit from hardcore performance metrics like how many units did you produce today or what was your profit this quarter towards some of that but also you know last quarter you told me that your intent was to learn x x could be uh what do our in the cardinal health example what's one new idea that we could provide to our customers in the surgical arena so setting very deliberate learning goals and measuring people versus those learning goals in addition to some of the performance metrics that you've put in place for them. I think it's really important.
1: Yeah, I I really like that. I really like that. And and also, so if I followed right what you were saying that, you know, the ability to know exactly the right question to ask at the right time is not something that you can learn uh, in the way that you can, you know, you you can learn specific whether it be, uh, I don't know, how to do financial analysis and planning, say, or how to, how to uh, use the orthodox strategy tools that people learn on an MBA, but, but the ability to know, the mental agility to know, you know, to think on your feet. So I guess it would be the difference almost between being a great actor who was able to, to deliver the lines that were, they were written versus being a great improv performer. That the, that the premium is now more to, to the person who can be in the moment and ask exactly the right question and respond to what's going on at the right time, because because all the scripts, if you like, are now just available to anybody. But it's that ability to, to take just the right thing at just the right moment. And I think you have to – that's a different kind of education that's required.
0: And I think so much of our progress in terms of um, changing the way we do things is asking the right questions, and that's really – you know, good good analytics is really just asking the right questions because everybody's got such massive amounts of data now. But in order to get anything out of that data, you've got to frame the question correctly. In order to solve any problem, you've got to be asking the right question, no matter how qualitative or quantitative it is. Um, so you can really get off on a misstep if you aren't finely tuning your question to to what result you want to get.
1: You have all the right answers to the wrong questions.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you've described um, a few ways that you help people to kind of get at what they're missing, what they've not spotted that they already have. What do you find are some of the biggest surprises that they encounter when they when they use this process effectively?
1: You know, I, I said that that director at the shopping mall had said their day had changed because of because we looked at what was working rather than wasn't and. You kind of have to experience that for yourself, almost. And, and I mean, you know, I, in the book, I talk about how to do it. So it's it's not it's not magic. But if you actually go through the process uh, with an issue that you yourself are convinced you you know is not going well, and then you suddenly realise that there's all these things that that are going well, that can be an absolute revelation. I I think we have a obviously. A lot of people pride themselves on being problem solvers, so they go in with a problem-oriented frame. I don't know what it was like at your when you went to school, but you know, I did you have ticks for the things you did right or crosses against the things you did wrong?
0: Crosses. You're right. You're right.
1: Uh, if that's orientation, and then you you flip that, it is a figure-ground reversal, and. Sometimes that really is a very dramatic difference for people. And I find, you know, whether I'm coaching an individual on their own performance or helping a, a, a business team more generally in the way we've been talking about thinking about the business, my assumption is always that there's a load of brilliant stuff going on or that could potentially go on and we just have to find our way to it. And of course, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a delight and a surprise sometimes for people when they realize that they they often have the answers. Or that their people have the answers and they go, oh, gosh, you know, we already have the answers in here and I don't need to, they're there, I can just use them.
0: It's so common that people at lower levels have all the answers and nobody Mm. ever asks them the question. It's so common. (laughs) We just expect them to just kind of go on churning out widgets or whatever and we don't go down there and say, what should we be doing differently? What haven't I given you that would make you be able to be more productive? What haven't I given you that would enable you to be more happy and satisfied and engaged in this job? What What can I do to support you? What What ideas do you have that you think were silly for not having pursued?
1: You know, I did some work uh, with, uh, uh, with an American multinational that, that, that Uh, I originally started working with their British arm and then I managed it was great to go around the world to their different plants and one of them was in Mexico now I don't speak Spanish and I'm not a factory guy you know Uh, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, (laughs) we uh, my client was very open to trying this kind of an approach and so through an interpreter i set up a there were you know there are facilitation methods where you can take a large group of people and get them to to work through and figure out answers to general questions and again, I talk about how to do that in the book so uh, people can, can read about how to do it. And so we, what we did was we had 50 or 60 shop floor people from this plant in Mexico City. And through an interpreter, I, the question was, how do we improve the plant? Just completely general sort of question. How do we improve the plant? And I got the plant manager to commit to how... Uh, he would handle the answers. So he'd either, if he could do them and they were good ideas, he would do them. If they, if, he, if they were good ideas, but he needed approval, he'd go to my client, the president, who was happy to try and do them if they could. And if they couldn't do them, he would promise to go back and explain why not. And that was the framing, yeah? Well, as I say, I'm not a factory guy, but you, all you needed to do, this, when I revisited uh, about three months later, was look at the before and after photographs of the plant. It was wow. totally transformed from a dark, dingy you know um, smelly operation with oil on the floor and exposed electrics and uh, very limited uh, to the the, 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 the the female bathroom facilities weren't very good and that it was bright, shiny clean. Uh, uh, the the wiring was tidied up. The warehouse was incredibly transformed in terms of its tidiness. There was you know all the right sort of tape on the floor for areas to go and no go. The the, the, the they built um, showers and bathrooms for the female uh, employees, which by the way had really uh improved their sort of feel for the for the for the business and and how they felt about working there cost very little to do a lot of the work was actually done by by the company's own people you know they they bought the resources and they they did some of it over the weekend they did painting and so on and and it it transformed from a plant that you wouldn't want to show a customer to one that they were showing off to the customer and it didn't cost very much uh, it didn't involve any sophisticated analysis even, but their on-time delivery numbers got better, their accident numbers got better, um, and it was all done by the people in the plant because they knew the answers.
0: And somebody was finally valuing their input.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. It was, it, that was wonderful. You know, uh, it was a warm kind of a place anyway, the, the kind of culture there was warm. And, and, but but it, it was all waiting there to sort of be released. And uh, the goodwill bump was great. Uh, but, you know, it showed up in the hard numbers as well in the operating metrics.
0: That's fantastic, because I just find that when people pitch in together to change something, it really strengthens the bond between the people too. And that bond between the people is what makes it fun to go to work because you like who you're working with, or at least you know who you're working with. Knowing who you're working with is, is huge, you know, kind of having those human connections that I think now during the pandemic, we're all like, <laughs> missing missing a lot or at least I am.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's obviously um you know the whole the whole of the last year has been been a radical change obviously for everybody and um we've we've not been able to do that much of that kind of getting you know getting large groups together online and being able to have that level of interaction is something we've been playing with more recently and, and getting some quite good results. Mm-hmm. But the that there are people working on better and better software platforms to do that and um yeah, I, You know, I think there's a lot of potential there as well.
0: So assuming the pandemic goes away, so we don't have a true health concern, but but also assuming that whatever we've learned during the last year, we get to use and retain those learnings. What do you think the future holds for the world that most people don't realize, if
1: anything? It's interesting. And I've said this to a lot of people, even without COVID, we would still be, if we were on this podcast... Or, or you know, or if you'd still be saying, wouldn't you, that the level of change is unprecedented? I guess I don't know if it was in the u s, but in the u k the the world's most un- overused word last year, unprecedented. But even without covid, you know with with digitalization, climate and energy, changing demographics, um changing social mores, all that kind of stuff, um, I think we would be dealing with unprecedented. Uh, change anyway, and so I think the probably the biggest surprise might be that even, uh, and I'm optimistic. You know, I, I had my first vaccination last week, and I think that that you know, the, congratulations. Uh, we're, we're, thank you. We're, um, that we're we're all kind of optimistic as we're seeing the rollout of that working. I think that the place the pace of change isn't particularly going to let up. I think it'll continue. So 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 the idea that oh we'll get back to quote normal and no because all of this was kind of all this digital stuff we could have done a lot of these changes in digital practice couldn't we? Um anyway a lot of this technology zoom and so forth of Skype and was all available um a couple of years before we needed it fortunately. So I think I think that this pace right. of change is just going to continue to accelerate.
0: I think it will.
1: As you're thinking forward about the people you're going to have on your podcast and the kind of things that you're you're seeing that you want to bring to your audience, what do you think are the biggest, what do you think the biggest things are going to be? What are the biggest questions that you see? Um, it's always very interesting for me in the UK uh, to hear what you guys in the US are prioritizing.
0: Every business is very interested in profitable growth. So that's like the underlying goal. But how do you get there? And so I have two areas of interest that I'm most interested in exploring. One is a continuation of my first book, The Agility Advantage, and my second book, Fearless Growth, is just how can we continuously learn and adapt as the market throws faster and faster change at us? And the second question, which I think is an enabler to the first, is how can we just make sure that everybody loves their work? You know, I've had a really interesting career, but I've loved every job that I've had. I mean, sure, there's been months occasionally where I'm like bored because I didn't get the promotion I wanted, or, you know, like I don't have the exact client I want, or something like that. But by and large, I've really enjoyed all of my work my whole life. And I just wish everyone could be like that. And so, one of my objectives. Uh, with the podcast is just to seek out people that seem to have done this pretty well. I mean, I feel like I've done it well. I feel like you've done it well. There's a lot of other people that I've known in my life that I feel like have just really um, been able to find joy in work and find ways to continuously learn and really experience a great work not only productivity, but just engagement and satisfaction. And so I'm interested in exploring that.
1: And I think that's a great theme for a podcast. And I'm very tempted to invite you. I hope you'll come and talk about that on my podcast, which I'm about to start. Yes, I
0: can't wait to do that.
1: That'd be great.
0: Yeah. And I want to remind all our listeners to seek out andy's book coming out in may start with what works i can't wait to read it and i'm going to see if i can pre-order it on amazon i hope that's possible is that possible andy i'm
1: going to send you a copy amanda all
0: right very good very good well thanks so much for joining me today andy it's been a lot of
1: fun thanks very much for asking me i've really enjoyed it
0: thank you for listening to fearless growth You can find out more about the show at satilly.com slash podcast, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you like what you've heard, please take a moment to write a review and give us a star rating. Reviews matter so much in helping others find us. Thanks for your support.